But coming generations will ask, who was Muhammad Ali? Because the scripture says, we soon fade. Amen? Well, let's pray and let's get into God's word. Father, how we thank you and praise you, O God, that your word truly is a light unto our path and that your word encourages us. Your word builds us up. Your word strengthens us. That we might be a people, Lord, who recognize, yes, we're in a battle. And the battle is ours, Lord. We have the victory in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are a people who don't run from the battle, but we engage in the battle. For after we've done everything we can do, we stand. And how do we stand? We stand in the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. After we've done all else, we just stand. Because, Lord, we recognize the fight is not with us. The fight is happening within the people who are attacking us. The, the fight is with Satan, Lord. It's not our battle. It's your battle. And, Lord, help us, O oh God, to not to pick up the fight of other folks. That Lord, that they're dealing with things in their own heart. And they're having to wrestle with things in their own heart. And Lord, we don't want to battle them. We just want to stand and watch you do an amazing work in their lives. Because Lord, the victory is yours. You will fight every battle. You will cause our enemies to be at peace with us. You will do an amazing work that only you're able to do if we're willing to stand. And Father, I pray as we look at your word today, that Lord, you would strengthen us in your word. That Lord, your word will encourage us today. That your word will give us, Lord, strength to run this Christian race. Because Lord, we recognize we're weak in the flesh. We're weak in the flesh. But Lord, your Holy Spirit, that doomus that lives in us, He's powerful. That we might learn to yield to your spirit and not to the things of the flesh. And when we yield to your spirit, we're able to stand no matter what is going on in our lives. And Lord, use us for your glory in these latter days. For we live in a world that's in turmoil. We're living in a world, Lord, that people have not got their priorities straightened yet. We live in a world, Lord, that sin seems to be right and right seems to be wrong and wrong seems to be right. Lord, we're all mixed up. But Lord, for we who call ourselves saved, sanctified, glorified, justified, and living out the righteousness of Christ, the believers, the sons of God, the daughters of God, the saints of God, the priests of God, that, Lord, that we would recognize all these titles that are upon us as your children. And, Lord, we will live them out for your glory. We will be the best servant we can be. Lord, use us, I pray, in these latter days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There is that which is going to take place. And it's that area that oftentimes we ourselves struggle with. We struggle with. Jesus is coming. 
How many of you really believe that? Yeah, Jesus is coming. You know, if you really have that hope in you, the scripture says it purifies you. Uh, uh, it, it helps you. It encourages you. If you really believe that Jesus is coming. And because you believe Jesus is coming, it activates something in your life. It activates something. It puts everything in perspective. It puts everything in its priority. Because I really believe Jesus is coming, boy, my priority is my wife, my children, my grandchildren. Those are my priorities. My wife, my children, my grandchildren. Reason Elaine's right up there on top, because what? She's part of me. The two should become one. So she's a high priority in my life. It's not about me being happy. I'm happy when she's happy, but guess what? When she's happy, she makes me happy, and she said, go ahead and take that trip if you want to. And that whole process, it it just works. That when we believe Jesus is coming, it helps us to set our priorities and those things that are proper and right in our life. Now, everything is about preparing for the coming of Jesus. How many of you are really preparing for that? You know, me and Roscoe is like two little boys. You got your bag packed yet? You got your bag packed yet? He asked me. You packed your bag? I asked. You all packed up and ready to go? You got your bike gassed up? I asked him. You got your bike gassed up? And man, we're just like two little kids waiting to go on this trip. It's, it's expecting. Expectation. It's preparing. It's looking for. It's wanting it to come. Do you really want Jesus to come? Do you really want him to come? Or are you one that is saying, Lord, just hold off a little bit. i got to take my vacation first. After I go on this vacation, then you can come. Lord, after I enjoy my house for a while, then you can come. Lord, after this takes place, then you can come. Or are, or are you praying, as the scripture says, the very end of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. And then, everything... And society is beginning to point to that coming of Jesus. And Jesus is coming, but understand this. Christians are going. When Jesus comes, we're gone. When Jesus comes, we're gone. And you need to understand that. When we were small, we took vacations out in Barmington with my grandmother and my Aunt Lizzie. And that was our summer vacation. And boy, we thought that was a big thing going seven miles away from home. And uh, we was in a different world. And boy, we would go out there. But somewhere about maybe the seventh, eighth week, we start asking, is dad coming today? Is dad coming today? Because we know when dad comes, we're going. So the question was, was dad coming? And the question is for you and I, Lord, is Jesus coming? Is this the day that he's coming? Is this the day? Because see, if you have that in mind, it gives you a manner in how you're going to conduct yourself throughout the day. How many of you ever been in a situation where you're doing something, but you're doing... You know, 
When we lived in the neighborhood, we never knew when certain people who lived right there in the neighborhood might be watching us. So we was always looking over our shoulder before we did something to see if somebody we knew was watching us. Because if they knew us, that we wanted the Brown boys, Ruth Brown or Sellers Brown was getting a phone call before we got back home. So we're always looking to see who might know us. You need to understand, God knows you. But he always has his eyes upon you. He's always watching you. And he's expecting you to live as his children. To live as Christians. To live as his saints. Now, go with me to Revelation 16. It, it strikes me here to find this verse. And we're going to be in this one verse. And we're going to somewhat dig into this one verse. And we could dig a lot more, but boy, this verse can get you excited if you get to digging in it. It's strange about where it's at. And then also what follows it. Because after this verse, we go right into the seventh plague where the wrath of God is really poured out. And up in the very part of 16.1, it says that the wrath of God is being poured out. But then when you get into that bowl number seven, the wrath of God is poured out. The fury of God is poured out upon earth. And the whole process is where this verse lines up at. Is that it is saying, and usually this verse is always connected with Christians or the church. And yet, it's found right here. It's found just before the battle of Armageddon. Although the preparation for the war of Armageddon is there. And, and the kings are being deceived by the three evil spirits that went out. From the dragon and the false prophet and the image. As you read up above it. Those three spirits went out from their mouths to deceive the kings of the world. And when you see kings, it was to deceive governments. It's to deceive nations. That nations would be deceived and ready to follow Satan in this war of Armageddon. And it speaks about the war there just for a moment. And it says, let's kind of recap real thick, real quick. Start with me in verse 12. As we come down to verse 15. The sixth angel poured out his bow on the great rivers Euphrates. And its waters was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the, of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miracles and signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. And, and it says that they go out to deceive. And last time when I spoke, we were speaking about the Euphrates would dry up, that the armies may cross. The whole process is that the kings would have to be deceived. And here's this thing that goes out, these spirits that go out to deceive the kings, but they work miracles and signs. And they have to show that they can work miracles and signs too because what God has been doing is miracles and signs also. Now come more miracles and signs, but they're coming from demons. And the whole process is that, what do you believe? Which miracles, which signs do you believe? And that's why scripture is so important. It's not about the signs, it's not about miracles, 
is really about what? The Word of God. That's why we read last time in Luke 16, where it said, If you send somebody back from the dead to my brothers, and the Lord says, That's not going to help them. For they have Moses and the prophets. Let them read them. It's the Word of God that really enlightens us. It's not the miracles. It's not signs. It's the Word of God. When you're praying, Lord, give me a sign. Stay in the Word and you'll get it. (laughs) Not to worry about outer signs. Stay in the Word and let God speak. And then when you come into that verse 15, and again, I would say, look where this is found at. He says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. He comes unexpectedly. He comes at a time that we're not looking for him. He comes at a time when we think, boy, he may not show up, but then he shows up. Hey, I was the type of father that showed up at school at unexpected times. And I would go and I have lunch with my kids. You know, and they wouldn't know what day I'm going to do it on, but I just show up. You know, and uh, the whole process is that they got to a point they didn't know when I was going to show up. Okay. Um, the thing is that you show up, you have lunch with them, you spend some time with them, but you know something? You're important enough to show up on their lunch hour. You're, in, you're important, they're important enough that you show up here and there. Now, you're checking up on them, yes. You're, you're looking after them, yes. You want to see what they're doing, yes. You want to see who they're hanging out with, yes. You, you want to do all those things, but what really captivates is this. You showed up. (laughs) You showed up. You took time out to show up and spend some time with me. And even the kids, boy, when they we get around the table and we all start talking together and everything, you know. And I guess I was a cool dad, you know, because we would just talk and have fun, you know. And it's one of those things that we just did. Now, Jesus is coming. But understand this. He's not going to call you before he comes. Now, just think about it. If you come to my house usually after 5 o'clock, you're going to catch me unprepared for guests. Because anywhere between 5 and 6, usually I'm going into pajamas nowadays. <laughs> you know, And <laughs> got one that agree with me. <laughs> and the whole process today, when you visit people today... Most people want you to give them a what? A call. Uh, we want to be more or less prepared when you come. Anymore, we don't like just drop-ins. But see, when we were growing up as kids, we drop over to Tumor's house. We drop over to the Cummings home. We drop over to the Greens home. We drop over. We just drop without no calling. Today, people want you to call, give them some type of forewarning that you're coming, that they can somewhat be prepared. They just don't like drop-ins. You're messing up my day. You're messing up my TV program. You're messing up my music. See, I got to throw my cigarette down because you're walking up here when I'm not expecting you to come. 
And that whole process is that we live in this time that we expect people to call us before we drop in. Let me share something with you. Jesus is going to drop in at an unexpected time. You can be ready or not be ready. He's coming. He's coming. And you need to be ready for that coming. Because he is coming. And you need to recognize it. Now, why? Why do I need to recognize? Because he's already pre-warned me. He's already shared with me that he is coming. And he, when he comes to that point that, boy, and tell me that he's coming, I need to take action and I need to be, be ready for it. Go to First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 with me. Because, see, we are a people oftentimes that are not prepared but we need to practice being prepared, having a mind to Christ, having a mind towards Christ, understanding that this could be the day, this could be the hour, this could be the night in which Christ is going to come. Because he describes it as coming as a thief in the night. Now, when the guy broke in my home, he didn't tell me, Pastor, I'm going to be there at 5 o'clock. Then when he came the second time, he didn't tell me he's coming back. And then when he came the third time, you know, I got tired of paying for windows for this guy, you know. But finally, he ran into my neighbor coming out from the back, and my neighbor recognized him. Then my daughter recognized him. And then one day he was going past the house, and they called me and said, the young man broke in your house, just walked past him. I got a glimpse of him. Got in my truck, rode up the street, asked him if I could talk to him for a little bit. And him and I, we talked. You know, and I was sharing with him, everything you stole, God could provide for you. If you just asked him. He says, you have not because you asked not. But, but what you need to understand is this. One time you may come in, but you may not go out in the manner in which you came in. You need to understand that. Secondly, you need to understand anything that you've stolen from me, even the hundred dollars that you stole in quarters in the jar. Guess what? It's not worth one day in jail. It's not worth having a felony on your name. No. And I asked him. I said, "Now, would you do me a favor?" I said, "If I took you to the police and, and got two witnesses." Most likely they would arrest you. Would you do me a favor? Don't break in my home no more. When the gentleman broke into the church here, and I came over, he was walking up the driveway, had the alarm still going, but he had been inside, and he got a little bit of what he wanted, and he came back in, but he had a telltale sign. Because where he crawled in the window at the basement, he had that redness on his back. <laughs> so me and him and the police are walking through the building, going through everything, and the police left. And I asked him, I said, why did you break into the building? He said, I didn't do it. I said, sir, if you take off your shirt, you'll see some redness. And I'll take you down the basement and show you the window you came through and what that redness came off. And it's the only place that you would have picked it up at. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
He said, I need some gas money. My car, it broke down across the street. It's not running. I said, well, let's go get you some gas. Got a five-gallon can out the garage. Went and got him some gas. Put it in his car. Man, don't break into nobody else's church. Hey, it's not worth it. The, the, the thing what I'm trying to share is that people will show up. He did not expect me to show up as quickly or the police to show up as quickly. But he's still right here. He comes at an unexpected time. He comes. Verses 13 through 18. Look what the Lord says. Brother, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word. We will tell you that we who are still alive. Who are left to the coming of the Lord. Will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. There's that word rapture that we use. And will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. He says, take this of my second coming, that I'm coming again to receive the saints of God, that I'm coming again to receive those who call upon my name, who have been saved, that I'm coming again to receive them. He says, encourage them. Encourage them. That I really am coming. Keep on encouraging them. Now, some people say, well, boy, he's taking a long time coming. We'll get to that, too, because there's a reason for his long time coming. But he says, encourage them. Go to Second uh, Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3. He says, now, brothers, about time and dates, we do not need to write to you. Now, people who want to date when Christ is coming, people have done that in the past. they all been proven wrong because that date has what? Come and gone. But that does not mean he's not coming. He's coming. You need to be aware of that. He's coming. Your supervisor on your job may leave you for a moment. He may walk off. He may not show up for an hour or two. But eventually he what? And sometimes he don't even let you know that he's there. He's just around the corner doing what? Seeing if you're doing what you are supposed to be doing. But he's watching. Understand, Jesus is always watching over us. And he simply says, boy, for you to know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He describes it again unexpectedly. He's coming like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. He says, boy, I'm coming. I'm coming. Uh, and, and we need to understand that he really is coming. Go down to verse 9 now in the same chapter here. He says it again. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. That's going to take place in that seventh plague that we're going to deal with some next week. 
that God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation or deliverance through the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have not been appointed to the wrath of God, but to the deliverance of God, to the salvation of God. Now, the believer has been warned. The issue is, do we take the warning? Do we take the warning? And understand this about the warning. The warning is there for righteous living. The warning is there for righteous living. The warning is there to encourage you to do the right thing. As the Holy Spirit prompts you. Because the reality of what he is assuring us is this. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ. The warning is there for, to do right. And it's so easy for us to do wrong because we think we have the time. It's so easy to do wrong because we think, boy, it's in darkness and nobody sees us. It's so easy to do the wrong thing. Okay. Because we assume I got time to make it up. I got time to correct it. And see, who is to say that God isn't saying, tonight I require of you your life. That could happen to any one of us. But he warns us. So in 1 Peter 3, 9 through 10, he's going to give us this warning. And you and I, we have to come to a place that... We're willing to take the warnings, take them seriously, and understand that, boy, God isn't playing here with us. Because he's already told us he's coming. He hasn't given us a date or time, but he's coming. Mom and dad would leave the house and say, do this, do that, and do that. We will be back, and we know that they're coming back, but they're expecting something to be done when they get back. And, boy, it's too late to see them stepping in the door to try to get busy. It needs to be done now. You have some time to do it. You have time to correct your life. You have time to live righteously. It's not about how you have lived. It's about how you're going to live from this point on. Your past is over. Your past is done. But the issue is how are you going to live from this moment on? That's what's important. How are you going to live the next minute? How are you going to live the next hour? How are you going to live the next day? It's not about yesterday. It's about what you're going to do now. Right now. That's what's important. So when you get to Peter, go there. We're going to verses 9 and 10. He simply says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. There's the delay. To us, the Lord is slow. Oh, he ain't coming. I've been hearing this mess since I was knee high. Somebody been telling me Jesus is coming. He hasn't came yet. This is nothing but a myth. This is somebody's made up story. This is somebody just saying something trying to get me to be good or live righteously or live the way they want me to live. The reality of it is this. It's true. And he says, and he's going to tell us why. He says, with the Lord, I'm sorry. Get back in the nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. He is patient. Not slow. But patient. 
Not slow, but patient. And he's patient for a reason. And then in the verse, he gives us the reason in which he is patient. He says, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to what? Perish. He's patient with you. If you know anything about raising children, you got to be patient with them. Because children won't always be exactly what you want them to be. But you demonstrate patience and you keep teaching. Now understand something. Some of them can be knuckleheads. You got to get to know all your children. Tyler will smile at you and say, yeah, 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 and do what Tyler wants. Faithful, it's not fair, it's not fair. And say one thing and go ahead and do what she want to do. One day, boy, she said, boy, I'm going to cheerleading practice. I'm going to cheerleading practice. Boy, she will be a cheerleading practice. And then some friend came by a little bit late after she left and said, if Faith went to the dance at Bookstore yet? No, she will be a cheerleading practice. So we went to the dance. <laughs> kind of shocked Faith. And then Gus, oh boy, he always got an excuse. He got a good reason. He coming down Copley Road and the police chasing him in my little escort. He pulled up in the driveway a minute or so later. Here come the police with their lights on on right there behind him. What did you do, boy? Dad, they did it. What do you mean they did it? Well, they chasing you. They ain't chasing them. If you raise children, you're going to scratch your head. You're going to beat yourself up. But you got to be patient. <laughs> now understand something. They're aware on your last patience. But that's okay. That's what God gave them, you, those particular children, to teach you patience. To teach you how to have understanding. To teach you how to search out a matter. You know, because sometimes you got to search it out with them for they can get what? Understanding of it. And sometimes they're slow to learn. It may not click until a year or two later, you know. Uh, 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 one thing I first started doing when I went to Gus's house, his first home when he owned it, I did the same thing he did. I went to the house and turned on all the lights. Walked on out the room. He come in. What are all these lights on for? What are all this on for? Oh, his lights on? You know, it's a reminder of what you did. You know, and the whole process is that thing of teaching and educating and just working with. And the Lord says, I'm patient. I'm going to work with you for this purpose that you will not perish. Now, what you may consider slow in my coming, no, I'm working on you. And therefore, Christ said, boy, God said, you are my workmanship. I'm working on you. I'm doing something in you. He's working. He's working, and he's patient with us. That's the, it's not that he's slow in coming, but he's patient with his coming. He knows he's coming. He knows the day and the hour is already set in his head, in his heart, in his mind. He knows he's coming. The problem is, do we really recognize it? And the thing, look what he says, and this is the part I want you to really get ready to take home with you, is this here in that verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. 
the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Everything. He's coming. He's not going to delay it. When the time is ripe, he's coming. We used to have white peaches at the first house we bought. We had three white peach trees. And boy, them peaches were sweet and juicy. And I loved those peaches. And you could go out there and see that peach when it first starts. And, and when it first it's a little hard. I mean hard, hard. When you first, but then as you just keep watching it as it gets a little bigger and so forth, boy, and there came a right time to pick that peach. Now, some of the peaches, well, I noticed birds have gotten into Some of them had little wormholes and so forth. But there are those that were just right and it was time to pick. God knows when to pick you. God knows when you're just ripe. God knows when he has completed his work in you. Hey, God knows. And God knows when he has completed his work in this world, in a sense. And when it's ripe for its harvest, he knows. And he will not delay. In Matthew 24, 42, again, the warning. Let's go real quick. Because we're not going to have communion today. We're just going to break our tradition a little bit and just move forward. But he says, in that verse 42, he says, keep watch. Now understand, that's a warning to you and I. To keep watch. You know, because you and I have to come to that place where we are intentionally watching for God to come. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. You keep on watching. Even though you think, boy, well, he ain't coming this hour. He ain't coming right now. No, you don't know when he's coming. So the warning for you and I, one, boy, is understand. He won't delay. He is coming. Number two, keep watching. Keep watching. Keep looking for him. You want to be alert. You want to have a sober mind. You don't want Satan to disclose you. And we're going to talk about Understand, I want you to see in that verse where it talks about being clothing. I want you to see the enemy as someone, as a rapist that wants to unclothe you. And they have a reason for unclothing you. Satan has a reason for unclothing you. And he, he simply says there, boy, be watchful because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Be watchful, he tells us. And then over in Mark 13, he says, be on your guard. Be alert. You need to be on your guard. You need to be alert. You need to be mindful that, yes, Christ really is coming. This is not a joke. He's not playing around. He's going to come in an unexpected time, but he's coming. And you need to be, as old folks you say, on your P's and Q's. You need to be there. We get so relaxed in life. We get so comfortable in life. 
we get so busy with dealing with ourselves that we forget Him. We forget Him. And, and He says, boy, be on your guard. Go to 13, go to 32 through 37 with me. Because He gives us quite a bit. He says, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven. Now understand that principle there. Even the angels are watching. And the angels are saying, in a sense, how is he going to pull this off? How is he going to do this? How is he going to rapture all these people up at one time? For it says, boy, one will be at the spinning wheel, one will be taken, and one left. How is God going to do that? Take one, but leave the other. How is God going to make that happen? And he's not a God of confusion. And oftentimes when we see parts of things of the rapture, we see confusion, and cars wrecked, planes falling, this happening. How is God going to land that plane safely without a pallet because he took the pallet because he's not an author of confusion? So I still believe he's not going to cause a bunch of confusion, but it's going to be done in such a manner. It's not going to be chaoticness. But in man's term, that's all we can think of is chaoticness. If somebody in the car is driving and they're taken, they got to have a wreck. No, God just parks the car. Just think, Ford didn't come up, Mercedes didn't come up, a lot of these things didn't come up with self-parking now. You just push the button and it does what? It parks itself. My, 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 my brother's new car, he got all these sensors around it, he can't even get out the lane. If he got those sensors on, he can't even turn it out the lane. The car breaks, if it gets so close to another car, it automatically breaks. God might be preparing for that day of the rapture when nobody driving the car just go ahead and pull itself off to the side and say, I'm absent of a driver. <laughs> and But he, he tells us, be on guard, be alert. And he says, even the angels are participating in this, but only the Father knows. In verse 33, he says, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. So he's pre-warning us. Be on your guard. Why do I have to be on my guard? Because there's an enemy going around trying to destroy you. How many of you understand Satan's trying to destroy your home? Satan's trying to destroy your children? Satan's doing all he can do to mess up your life. And he says, be on guard. See, oftentimes we want to blame each other. Rather than us getting together and say, Satan, you're not going to do this. <laughs> you know? Because we fix our eyes where at? On each other. See? And it's not each other. It's the enemy who we've allowed to get a foothold in and begin to break what God has put together. Called a family, a unit. You know? And we allow him to do that. Because we put our eyes on each other rather than on who? On the Lord. And when we have problems, we look at it that way. And he says, be on guard. Why? You have an enemy out to destroy you. He says, be alert. 
And that alert is, be of sober mind. In other words, when things happen, you are thinking properly. You're not thinking in the flesh, you're thinking in the Spirit. And when you think in the Spirit and let the Spirit control things, He will always guide you through every temptation, through every trial, everything that you're going through. The Holy Spirit will guide you. For there is no temptation that has come, that is not common unto man, that God has not made a way of escape. The issue is, are you willing to follow Him? And the issue is that well, you and I, he says, be alert, be self-controlled up here. Now understand something. If you have a God of this world that is teaching people how to live in this world, how to live fleshly and go against everything that God says, you have to understand Satan is a teacher. That's why in Timothy, he says, even demons teach. Demons teach. Now, if you're teaching, hopefully you got a student. He's teaching somebody. He's teaching somebody. Now, the thing you got to ask yourself is this. Who are you learning from? When you go to work for IBM, you don't read the policies of Goodyear. If you're working for Goodyear, you don't read the policies of Walgreens. You read... The policies and the particular things that you need to know about your job with the company that you have been hired by, that you might know how they function. When you become a Christian, you don't learn from Satan. You don't sit in the classroom of the world. You sit in heavenly classrooms discerning the things of the Spirit and being taught by the Spirit because the Spirit of God is a teacher that wants to teach all of us. He teaches us how to be holy. He teaches us how to put on the garment of sanctification. He teaches us how to work and live in righteousness. He teaches us how to live as the children of God. He's teaching us something. But remember, again, that verse that we're going to talk about in the same verse, being unclothed, you're unclothed of righteousness. You're unclothed of sanctification. You're unclothed of the learning and the things of God. That Satan wants to just strip those things away from you. Remember, he is a thief. He cometh to rob and to kill and to destroy. You need to understand who Satan is, who the real enemy is, Because he wants to rape you. Look at our society. Men don't have no problem raping other men today. That's a problem. That's a desperate problem. And the whole process is that Satan wants to rape. He wants to unclothe you. And God says, you need to be alert. You need to be watchful. How many of you even now are teaching your children or grandchildren when you go in the bathroom, you better be what? <laughs> you're, getting, you're helping them to be a little bit more alert now. Well, before you were in the men's bathroom, you was in the men's bathroom. You were in the women's bathroom, you were in the women's bathroom. Now you got to teach your children. When you go in there, you got to know who's around you. You got to know who's coming through the door. Sometimes you may enter in. Well, I was going to do something, but I better not do that. You know, but the... the the, the, the thing is, you may have to walk right back out. You know, you know it's like the old gamblers say, you got to know when to hold them. And, 
and, and, and, and that whole process, you may have to come right on back out. Because of what's in there. And, and the thing is, is that he says, be on your guard, be alert. Then when you get into Luke, let's go to Luke 12 before we get back to Revelation. That you want to understand this. The 12 or 22? Let me get there and see. Yeah. Thus again, he's going to refer to the clothing, to the dress here. He says in verse 35, Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their masters to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master find them watching when he comes. When you come down to verse 8, it also says in verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose masters find them ready. Now, in the King James it says the word blessed, but here he, him, he emphasized, it's going to be good or it's going to be blessed if he find you watching. It's going to be good, you're going to be blessed if you find you ready to go. Ready to go. During this time, it's important to stay awake also. Because oftentimes with Christians, we become lazy, we become so relaxed, we go to sleep on the job. And he says in that verse, verse 15, he says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake. Are you awake? What happens when you start getting sleepy? You start getting lazy. What happens when you start getting sleepy? You no longer really are connected with what's going on. Pastor Travis and I, my brother and a couple of us, we were watching the basketball game, and boy, we were excited about it. And about just before halftime, or right around halftime, Travis said, Time immediately we said, you, you leave it just have time. Well, if I'm on sleep, and that's what he's doing at the time, you know, trying to read a book, and, you know. But finally he recognized he was falling asleep. So the game didn't really have much what? Yeah, he couldn't watch it anyhow. He, he was missing all the important things, you know. And the thing is, when you get drowsy, you get sleepy, you begin to miss. You're not at your best, you know. And you're not catching everything. And, and, and the Lord says, be awake, be alert, have both eyes wide open. You know, any of you that was in the military and you had to be out on a listening post, you didn't go to sleep. <laughs> you were on the perimeter garden. You didn't go to sleep. Because the enemy, if he's coming, first one that he's going to get... <laughs> You didn't go to sleep. You were watchful. You were looking. You were listening. You were listening for any little sound. A branch breaking. Animals. Boy, you're listening for something that's not normal. And he says, you need to be alert. You need to be listening. You need to be watching for that which is not normal. Why? Satan only wants to get a foothold into your life. That's all. If he gets a foothold, he's going to take a yard. If he takes a yard, he's going to take a mile. But first thing Satan got to get is at least a foot in there. And that's what he's after. And he says, stay awake. 
Now, in First Peter 5 eight, he speaks about we don't have time to go through them all. God, boy, time is running. I don't know why when I get to preaching, this clock runs faster. You know. No. No. But in First Peter 5 eight, he tells us, boy, we got to stay alert. We got to stay ready because, see, the enemy, he's out there to do something to us. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And therefore the Lord says, stay awake, stay awake. Now, if you understand everything we've been going through Revelation, all the false teaching, all the things that's happening, the false prophets and so forth, and the image and what's being taught, boy, if you're not alert, you'll be sucked right in. You'll be sucked right into it. If you're not really in the word, you will be sucked into what America calls religion. Now understand something about religion. Religion will not save you. You can be a very religious person and don't know Christ. If your life is not centered on Jesus Christ and him alone... Yes, you can be religious and you can sing in the choir and you can usher and you can preach and you can deacon and you can elder and you can this and you can Sunday school teacher and you're going to go straight to hell. Because Christ is missing in your life. And that's oftentimes what religion does. It blindsides us to the real person of Jesus Christ. And the whole process is that we need to guard our hearts. We need to really be on the defense. Go First Peter 4, 7 through 10. Just right across from it. First Peter 4, 7 through 10. Listen to what he says. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded. Now, don't have anything in your body that will cause you to be what? Drowsy, or to be this, or to be that. You see, you want to have a clear mind. Now, there's times you may have to take medicine, and what does it do? It kind of dulls you. And you can walk around like a zombie, or you can sense that you're floating, or you can feel just kind of like, as we say, we're out of it. God says, no, you don't want to be out of it. This is a too important of a game for you to be out of it. You need to be aware of everything that's going on around you. You need to be aware of every word that's being spoken around you. You need to be aware what's being taught you, what's being taught your children, what's being taught your mate. You need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of people's actions, people's personalities. You need to be aware of those things. You need to understand when a person comes in the job, Hi, how are you doing today? Hi, come in tomorrow. Hey, things are great. It's going good. Then come in the next day. Don't talk to me. They just said something wrong. <laughs> you can see by the attitude. You can see by the way in which they speak. You know, something's wrong. Hey. And Satan attacks and he robs our joy. He robs from us. Now go to with me, Second Timothy six twenty. Second Timothy six twenty. 
Give me First Timothy six. First Timothy six. You know Second Timothy. First Timothy six. Let me get down there. See if that's what. It, yeah, First Timothy six, not second. He says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. He says, guard what has been trusted to your care. Remember the sower. As the sower would go out and sow his seed, there would be one who would come and do what? Snatch it away. Or it would be one who would come and boy, he plants a lot of tariffs around that good old seed. Have you ever seen dandelions grow up around grass? What do it do with grass? It just kills out the grass. You need to be watchful what's planted around you. Now, understand this. Some people say, the only thing I want around me is positive people. What we're saying, I don't want to hear no negativeness. Understand something. Negativeness is part of life. You just need to be cautious of how you receive it. You need to know the people who are around you are for you. You need to know the ones that are against you. You need to be aware of that because all your friends aren't what? And they're all not for you. There can be those who are against you. You can bring your best so-called friend into the house, but you see him looking at your wife the wrong way. Goodbye, bud. It's time for you to go. Same thing with a wife. She can bring her friend in. But because what she don't have at home and she wants what you have at home, you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware. Everybody who... They're saying, I hope you get that promotion. Somebody is saying, I hope you don't, that I can get it. You need to be aware of what's around you. And understand that. And he says, now, Timothy, guard what I have entrusted you with. Why? Because Satan is going to try to steal it from you. Satan's going to try to rip it away from you. Satan wants to steal your faith. Satan wants to railroad your faith and cause you to have this great old crash. He wants to bankrupt you. He said, now you guard what I have entrusted into your life. What is that? The word of God. You guard it. Why? Satan wants to rob the word of God away from you. He wants to take it from your mind. He wants to take it from your heart that you won't act upon it. And he says, you guard it. Now, he says, stay awake. To give strict attention to something. To be cautious. To take heed. And you need to understand. Oftentimes in Christianity there comes this laxity. I don't need to grow no more. And yet the scripture says to grow in Christ. Grow in Christ. Well, I read the Bible once. Well, I've gone through that once. I did this once. And that somehow we forget all about it. So the Bible just sits there on the shelf. You need to be picking it up every day looking into it. You know, I'm not saying read a whole chapter. Sometimes all you need to read is two verses. But you need to be in the habit of reading it. Of reading it. And I've gotten into practice now because of age and memory and what it used to be. Before I read, I say, Lord, put it in my mind and my heart that I might be like a deep well that when people put their buckets down, they can pull up a fresh drink of water. You pray over yourself. 
that you can maintain and keep the word of God hidden in your heart. Because out of the heart comes the very issues of life that's going to teach you how to walk and how to make judgments and how to make decisions. It comes from the heart. But a heart void of the word of God only have one thing to lean on. And that's their own understanding. And the scripture says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Acknowledging what? Acknowledging his word that is in you. That he will direct your path. And he says, stay away. Why? Because in Ephesians 4, 27, the only thing the enemy wants to do is get a foothold. And then he comes to that point, during the time, it's important to stay away. Always alert. You stay away. Now, there is a proper clothing for each occasion, for every occasion of life. There's a proper clothing. Well, it used to be. We don't have that anymore. So when he comes in that verse again, 15, he says, after staying awake, he says, keep his clothes with him. The reason for having the clothing is for this, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. That you are not shamefully exposed. He says, have the right clothing on. That you don't have this shame and this guilt of being exposed. If you are a fireman rushing in the home, don't you want the right clothing? If you know anything about a welder, a welder want to have the right clothing on when he's welding. Because them sparks are flying and they're hot. And when he's done welding and he got to chip that stuff off, that stuff is hot. You want to have the right shoes on because you don't want something going down getting in between because it'll make you jump. You want to have the right type of eye gear when somebody is welding around because why? That stuff will blind you and you talking about something that hurts is when you get them flashes in your eyes, they are painful because you can't look at that light straight on. You got to have special kind of glasses and so forth. You need the right dress. Today, boy, we go to a wedding, we don't know how people may come because we've forgotten how to dress for certain occasions. We go to the president, we're invited to a president's ball, we don't know how to dress. And oftentimes, on many occasions today, we just show up, they'll be glad I showed up. Back some people might they say, they uh, wish he'd just go back where he come from. You know. Because occasions also demand still a certain way or style of dressing. And here, there's this certain clothing that has to take place. He says, and keep his clothing with him. Now, he wouldn't be warning us that we need to keep it unless somebody's trying to take it off. He wouldn't be warning about it. One of my little daycare kids, there's on the step, and he's coming out the bathroom upstairs, but he had twisted up his underwear. And everything was showing on this young man, you know. So I went over to him and I said, can I help you? And I started to reach down. He said, no, no. I said, well, we need to get your 
underwear up and we need to get your pants up because everything's a showing. No, no, my mommy will help me. I said, well, is your mommy here? She upstairs. So I yelled upstairs to her and she came on down and, and she got, but I like what he said because he had been taught. You don't allow strangers to do what? Yes. Hey. He knew that much, even though he couldn't handle it. He wasn't going to let a stranger touch him because he didn't know the intent that I may have had. And it showed me, boy, he'd been taught. You know? Think about Christians oftentimes. We haven't been taught. And we let any demonic thing touch us. And we forget that Satan's trying to rape us. Satan's trying to take the clothes off. Satan's trying to do something to us. Hey. And Satan will strip you blind and leave you outside naked. You need to understand that. Satan don't care about you having clothes on. He's not caring about you having the clothes of righteousness on. He's not caring about you have the clothes of justification on. He doesn't care if you have the clothing of repentance on. He doesn't care if you have the clothing of love on. He doesn't care what you have on. He's trying to get it off. And he says, because of that, he says, keep his clothing with him. Let's close with Isaiah 61.10. Because Satan wants to unclothe you. And he has a purpose because once he unclothes you, he's going to leave you out there naked. Naked. Have you ever heard of a rape victim? A rapist trying to put the clothes back on the person that they raped? They don't do it. Once they've raped and taken the clothes off and satisfied themselves, they're gone. They don't try to redress they don't even try to clean the mess up. They're gone. That's Satan. Hey. And he will leave you in the pitiful shape that you're in at that point. Hey. But in Isaiah 61.10, look what he says here. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoice in my God. For he has clothed me with garments. I, I, I want you to pay close attention to the plural. Not just garment. But garments. That's important. It's more than just one what? Garment. See, as Christians, we got clothing for the battle. Called the armor. As Christians, we got white robes. A righteousness. As Christians, boy, we got robes that have been washed in the blood of Christ. As Christians, we got t-shirts with the big S on it. Saints of God. We have clothing. And see, we also have that clothing for that wedding feast that's going to take place. And he says... 
For he has clothed me with garments, not just one garment, but with garments of salvation, and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. And Satan's trying to zip my robe down. He's trying to unbutton my robe, and he'll do it very slowly. You, you ever had that boy? See, when I was a young man, didn't know the Lord. I kind of put my hand over Elaine's shoulder. But if it went too far, she kind of, you know. Then I try to get the attention again. Boom. Finally, you get to a point, ain't no use trying to do anything here, you know. But, but the thing is, watch and just watch life. We try to get one, one button unbuttoned, just get this done or get that done. Satan only works on maybe one thing at a time while he's stripping you. And God said he's giving you garments. And he has raised you in the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewelry. Boy. And Satan's trying to just take your jewelry. Satan's trying to take your garments off. Satan's trying to remove what God has put on. And he says, I'm warning you. Be alert. Be alert to it. Be watchful. Be watchful. Listening. Because the enemy is out to destroy and it's strange where this verse then in Revelation 16 really shows up at. It's just before the battle of Armageddon. And it's just before God pours out his wrath. And he says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Father, May you keep our minds keenly alert. May you keep our hearts fixed on thee. And Lord, may you help us, O God, to constantly be remindful, to keep ourselves clothed in the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we have a mind, O God, that seek after thee. Not a mind that get caught up with this teaching and that teaching and being tossed to and fro to every wind of doctrine that comes along. That, Lord, we're out here, we're doing this, we're chasing that. But that, Lord, we are keenly aware of your voice when you speak. And we're not chasing after every kind of teaching and everything that's going on. But, Lord... We stay in the straight and narrow path of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, we understand that, Lord, Satan is out here and he's pulling. He's pulling to the left. He's pulling to the right. He's pulling for us to go backward. He's pulling us everywhere but towards you. Lord, help us to recognize that, Lord, you're coming and that we will not be pulled away from you. We will not lose focus on you. That Lord that we're saying come quickly Lord Jesus. We're watching for you Lord. But while we're watching we're busy in your work. 
we're like the men on the wall. We're working with one hand, but we got the weapon in the other. We're living in one hand in this world, oh God, doing what you would have us to do here. But with the other, Lord, we're watching for you and praising you and worshiping you and saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord, may you minister to us. We are your people. Keep us in the hollow of your hand. Let us not drift to the left or to the right. But Lord, may we recognize who we are in Christ Jesus. May Satan not rob us, O God, of one garment. May you hold fast to us. And may we hold fast to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Tomorrow might be one day too late, for Christ may have come and gone, and yet you're left here. If you never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do it today. You can simply do it sitting right where you are, but if you do it, I would like to know that you've done it. You let Pastor Travis know. You let one of the elders know. You let us know that you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we just like to open the word with you a few moments and just show you what you've really done. And all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I recognize I am a sinner. Come into my heart. And save me. If you prayed that simple prayer. He's there. Stars don't have to fall. Sun don't have to stop shining. No great thing really has to happen. But the greatest thing of all has just happened. The God of the universe has come into your life. Just because you asked him to do so. Lord thank you. May you continue to minister to us. And Father, as we prepare our hearts to give to you, we want to say thank you. Thank you for giving us the privilege, and it is a privilege to give back to you a portion of that which you have blessed us with, because we recognize.